Welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Dr. Toby Marr, Professor of Clinical Medicine and Director of Interstitial Lung Disease at the University of Southern California and corresponding author of the Census Trial published in the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. The trial looked at the safety and efficacy of nintendinib in systemic sclerosis-associated interstitial lung disease treated with mycocephalate. Dr. Marr, how common is interstitial lung disease as a manifestation of systemic sclerosis, and what course does the disease usually take? Systemic sclerosis is a disease that causes manifestations, which can also cause fibrosis at multiple internal organs. Of the internal organs affected, the lung is by far and away the most common. Um, so somewhere between 60 to 70% of patients with systemic sclerosis will have some form of interstitial lung disease. Uh, and we know from prospective studies that patients with any form of interstitial lung disease in the context of scleroderma uh, have a much worse prognosis with a much greater risk of death. Overall, we know that the median survival for a patient with interstitial lung disease in the context of systemic sclerosis is about seven to eight years. And it's worth remembering that the average age of diagnosis for these patients somewhere in their mid-40s. Um, so the ILD that we see in the context of systemic sclerosis not only causes major symptoms in terms of breathlessness, often associated cough, ultimately respiratory failure, uh, and often the need for oxygen, um, but also it, it will tend to be the complication of the disease that ends up killing patients with systemic sclerosis. So it really is a very important and terrible complication of an already challenging systemic autoimmune disease. What treatments have previously been used to alleviate the symptoms or slow the course of systemic sclerosis-associated interstitial lung disease? So historically, we've tended to use treatment with broad-spectrum immunosuppressant drugs as our primary way of, of trying to prevent disease complications in patients with systemic sclerosis. And that's true both for the disease as a whole and for the complication of interstitial lung disease. Of the clinical trials that have been run, uh, there was the SLS1 study, which looked at the use of oral cyclophosphamide. Uh, oral cyclophosphamide did appear to improve outcomes at 12 months, although that effect was lost after two years. And as many people will know, cyclophosphamide is associated with a lot of systemic side effects, including increased risk for things like bladder cancer, which make it a very unfavorable treatment to use in clinical practice. More recently, people have focused on the use of mycosinolate mofetil. Again, in a recent clinical trial, SLS2, there was evidence that mycosinolate mofetil had an equal magnitude of effect compared with oral cyclophosphamide. And so in many countries, mycophenolate has been used as first-line treatment uh, for SSCILD. Other treatments that have been looked at uh, include rituximab, tocilizumab, um, other immunosuppressant drugs, but none of these are approved or licensed for use in systemic sclerosis or systemic sclerosis-associated ILD. And then ultimately for patients with severe disease, there is a role for either lung transplant or autologous bone marrow transplant as a way of trying to alleviate the complications of systemic sclerosis. But again, all, all of those treatments carry major risks and downsides. 
The census trial looked at the safety and efficacy of nentinib, an intercellular inhibitor of tyrosine kinase, in slowing the course of interstitial lung disease in patients with stomach sclerosis. Can you describe the main findings of the study? Before now, we've not had any approved treatments for SSCILD. We have used immunosuppressants, but the evidence supporting their use has been poor, and we've continued to see morbidity and mortality associated with SSCILD. Nintendib, as everyone will know, has been an approved therapy for use in idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis since 2015. So there was good clinical trial evidence that nintendib has antifibrotic effects in lung, obviously in the context of a different interstitial lung disease. So that was really the rationale for undertaking the study in SSC-ILD. The census trial was designed along the lines of trials that we've performed in, in IPF, which is to say it was a 52-week trial. Patients were randomized one-to-one, either to nintedinib or matched placebo. The inclusion-exclusion criteria were kept broad to try and enable the recruitment of the majority of patients with ILD. The one limitation was that patients had to have a minimum of 10% of the lung involved by interstitial lung disease on a centrally red CT scan. But otherwise, there were very few limitations to patients' participation in the trial. And the primary endpoint that was chosen was the same endpoint that we've used in other fibrotic lung disease trials, which is to say rate of change in forced vital capacity over 12 months. The study was ultimately positive. The placebo group, we saw approximately 90 mils of FBC loss over the 12 months. Uh, in the active treatment arm, the patients given nintedinib, we saw a reduction in that loss by 41 mils, a relative reduction of approximately 44%, suggesting that as we see in IPF, nintedinib is capable of slowing the rate at which fibrosis progresses in the lungs of patients with SSCILD. In terms of tolerability, we know that nintedinib can cause gastrointestinal upset, most particularly diarrhea, and to a lesser extent, nausea. There was obviously a concern going into the study that steroderma patients may be additionally susceptible to GI side effects because the GI tract can be involved in systemic sclerosis. Reassuringly, however, the safety data from the census trial was comparable to what we've seen in in IPF studies, which is to say a proportion of patients did develop diarrhea, but in the majority it was manageable and the discontinuation rates were no greater in systemic sclerosis than they have been in IPF populations. So I think the take-home messages from census were that nintendinib has an effect on slowing disease progression in patients with SSCILD, and it does so with a tolerability profile that mirrors that that we've seen in other diseases. Can you explain the rationale for the census subgroup analysis reported in the Lancet Respiratory Medicine, in which you look at the safety and efficacy of nintendinib in patients who were and were not receiving mycophenolates at baseline? So one of the important features of the census study, which distinguish it from other clinical trials done in this disease area, is that patients were permitted to receive background treatment with mycophenolate mofetil. Um, Often in past studies, the use of mycophenolate has been an exclusion criteria 
because people were concerned that that would have an influence on the final results of the trial. But in census, we felt that it was important to include the patients on mycophenolate, in part because nintedinib has a very different mechanism of action. It's working specifically on the fibrosis rather than the autoimmune mechanisms that underpin the development of disease, but also because we wanted census to be as real world as possible. And there was a recognition that physicians treating scleroderma see mycophenolate as an important adjunct to treatment in this patient group. In the final cohort in the census trial, half of patients were on mycophenolate. Because we anticipated that at outset, patients were randomized based on their, their mycophenolate use. And so there was a balance in mycophenolate use between the treatment arms. And so the subgroup paper that we have now published in Lancet Respiratory Medicine really looks at the relationship between mycophenolate use, nintedinib use, and important outcomes in this patient group. And although clearly the study wasn't designed to answer specific questions about mycophenolate, it does give us some insight into the role of mycophenolate as a treatment in this patient group. And importantly, it gives us insight into the use of the combination uh, of mycophenolate and nintedinib. And the reason we think this is important is because we anticipate that in a real-world setting, now that nintedinib has been approved for use for systemic sclerosis-associated ILD, that physicians treating this patient cohort are likely to consider the need for a combination of treatments in a substantial number of the patients that they're managing. The manuscript goes through in detail our experience with patients on mycophenolate. We demonstrate that, interestingly, the patients that do worst of all in the study from an ILD perspective, which is to say the patients who lose the greatest amount of FVC, are those patients who are on neither nintedinib nor mycophenolate. And by the same token, the patients who seem to have the best outcome over the 52 weeks are the patients who were on both nintedinib and mycophenolate. And although there is the caveat that the study wasn't designed to specifically answer the question about combination treatment, it does raise the prospect that the combination is perhaps an important therapeutic option for this patient group. Clearly, there's the important aspect of the safety of this approach. In the mycophenolate group, we see that it was generally well tolerated. We see a slight increase in upper respiratory tract infection compared to patients not on mycophenolate, but we don't see any additional challenges with patients tolerating nintedinib based on whether they're taking mycophenolate or not, suggesting that the combination of the drugs are safe when taken together. And so I, I think the take-home message from this manuscript is that combination treatment appears to be safe. It is potentially effective. There are caveats that mycophenolate was not a randomized treatment for these patients. There was no placebo deliberately to compare the mycophenolate patients. And similarly, all patients who went into the trial on mycophenolate had to be stable and tolerating treatment. So we recognize that some of the patients not on mycophenolate were on it because they could not tolerate it.
which obviously will have had a slight influence on results. But nonetheless, we feel that the, the, the results described in this manuscript are going to be important for clinicians making decisions about best management of their patients with systemic sclerosis-associated ILD. Many questions remain about what should constitute first-line therapy for systemic sclerosis-associated ILD and the potential benefits of combining treatments such as mycocephalate and nintineb. What would you identify as priorities for research? Clearly, there are a lot of important questions that remain. I think, you know, we've taken an important step forward with the census trial in so much as we know that specifically targeting fibrosis in the lung is important for modifying disease trajectory in patients with systemic sclerosis-associated ILD. I think, as I've described, the data in this current manuscript in Lancet Respiratory Medicine suggests that, numerically at least, combination treatment offers the best outcome in patients with SSC-ILD. But I, I think As the question alludes to, there is a lot we don't know. We don't know how early in the disease course we should initiate therapy. As I noted in the design of the study, we excluded patients who had less than 10% interstitial lung disease on their CT scan. There remains a question about whether we should be identifying these patients with er very early disease and treating them aggressively in the hope that we might prevent the development of fibrosis in the future. So I think that's an important area for question. As our current manuscript suggests, combination treatment probably is the most effective route to treating patients. But again, we don't know in which order we should start treatment. Should we start an immunosuppressant first and nintedinib as an antifibrotic second? Should we start it the other way around or should we start both drugs in combination as early as possible? So we need to do studies to understand um, that strategy. Also, systemic sclerosis as an autoimmune disease tends to show a lot of disease activity in the first few years after diagnosis. uh, And then the disease appears to become less active with time. uh, And that raises the question as to how long patients need to be on therapy. Should they be on therapy lifelong? Or is there a point in the disease at which it's possible to stop either immunosuppressants uh, or perhaps even antifibrotic drugs? So we, we need longitudinal studies to try and understand that. And I think, as was seen in the census study, although antifibrotic treatment does slow disease progression, it doesn't prevent it, nor does it reverse it. And so there does remain an unmet need for improved treatment in systemic sclerosis uh, and for treatments which might ultimately genuinely modify disease outcomes. So I think there's a lot to be done, but it was very important to show that nintedinib is effective at altering disease trajectory because it, it gives us the reassurance that it is possible to treat systemic sclerosis-associated ILD. Um, The next step really is just to refine our approach to treatments and hopefully continue to find ever more effective therapies as we go forward. Dr. Marr, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. No, well, that's a pleasure.